Hello and welcome to a surprise episode of Career Advice. We are not going to number this episode, though it's te- technically episode number eight. Seven. Is it? Ne- Wait, seven really? Mm-hmm. We've already done seven? Okay, yeah, episode seven. That's great. Okay, thank you. We are here to talk to you about all things to do with career, personal finance, personal development and career growth. And of course, vices. vices. Ooh. Ooh. But today's episode is a little bit different. As it is a surprise episode, we're going to do it a little bit differently today. We're not going to talk too much about vices this episode. Uh, it might end up being a shorter episode. We'll see. And we're not going to tr- traditionally talk about career-related topics. Although this one is a little bit related. But before we get into that, I'm your host, Sean. And I'm here with my lovely co-host, Ling. Hello, listeners. So, Sean, tell us, why did we decide to do this surprise episode? We decided to do this because we missed doing this a lot. (laughs) This kind of became part of our routine. And our first week after taking a break, we were like, whoa, I missed this. Mm -hmm. We should be recording. This feels so (laughs) weird. And I know we told you we'd be back next time with a guest. We are so... Working away on that, but we just wanted to record something before we head out on vacation in a couple of days. Where are we going, Ling? We are going to the happiest place on Earth, Disney World. I thought you were going to say the casino. (laughs) Just kidding. We don't like the casino very much. (laughs) Yeah. So how is today's episode going to tie back to everything that we have discussed so far on this podcast? Yeah. Well, this topic today is not about careers, Mm -hmm. but why do we have a career? Why do we work to earn money, right? Mm -hmm. Why why do we earn money? For what reason? How how do we go about spending it? How do we go about saving it? I don't know. Well, actually, I do know a little bit. A little (laughs) bit. I sure hope so. But a a long time ago, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And that is the topic of... Personal finance. Financial literacy. I like it. Yeah. So we're going to talk today about personal finance. I know this is something that a lot of people talk about. And we want to share what we've learned. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, comparing to the other episodes that we have recorded, this one I feel particularly less confident about. And I feel particularly excited about this one because I love personal finance. High five. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit of the background for this topic and me, maybe about five years ago, six years ago, I didn't didn't really know that much. I didn't care that much about saving money, about budgeting it, about investing it. I was really just trying to survive and I was earning money and I was spending it trying to know, make ends meet, that kind of thing, as a lot of people do. And then I just got into it. There are a couple of different reasons why, and we can kind of dive into that. But since then, I've had a very close relationship with my money, and I really enjoy the act of budgeting it and understanding where all my money is going and for what reason and like trying to increase my financial safety our safety net mm-hmm. you know that's not it can't be the case for everyone some sometimes it's just really tough uh to to save money with 
with housing where it's at and generally with how things stand in the world today. So it's understandable that people can't do that. Uh, or maybe it's just a matter of informing themselves, learning a little bit. And we're hopefully going to share some stuff and some resources that will let people do that today. Mm -hmm. And I mean, of course, we are not certified financial advisor. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you how to invest your money. Or how to spend it. Yes. I don't have a fiduciary duty <laughs> to you, uh, but I, I would love to, sh to share things you could read, things that have worked for me mm -hmm. and us, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then we'll take it from there. Awesome. So let's jump into the first topic we want to talk about. The, the low-hanging fruit, the easy-to-answer question, that is, what was your first experience with money and managing it? What was it for you, Ling? I think my first experience with money is very different from my first experience with managing my money. Oh. Growing up, my parents has always been running a small shop, selling different things. So very early in my childhood, maybe when I'm six or seven, that's when I first got to know or understood the concept of money. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing people buying things from my parents' shop. And I would always be so curious about asking them the question, how much did we make off <laughs> that one transaction? <laughs> so very early on, I had this concept of buying buying and selling and profit and loss. <laughs> and I also <laughs> understood the concept of, you know, you having you have to pay wages to the workers who come oh, and work yeah. at the store. And then mom and dad would have to pay for our schooling and food and all of that. And so when it comes to money, I think I learned about it from the business perspective way before the personal perspective. That's and I really thought that cool. was really interesting. So you, you learned not only how money was important, we also learned like some of its uses and how it's, how it's spent and managed mm -hmm. very young. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. And then... I would say managing my own money, that probably started when I came to Canada. So when I was 15, because my parents were paying for all of my tuition, you know, living expenses. They also gave me allowances. And no one taught me how to budget or how to spend money wisely, where and how to spend it. So I think... From when I was 15 all the way until I finished university, I had very little knowledge of personal finance, even though I major in finance <laughs> in university. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a misconception that a lot of people have, which is, oh, if you study finance or accounting, then you must be really good with your money or you must know everything that there is to know about financial literacy, but that is actually not true, <laughs> yeah. at least not in my case. I guess learning about money is a little bit different from putting it into practice and using it in in your own life. Mm -hmm. How about you, Sean? My first relationship with money, it didn't, it didn't really come till I was a little bit earlier, earlier, I suppose. I never really got allowances. I, uh, I only got money when it was like my birthday mm. or at Christmas. 
So I look forward to my birthday and Christmas for, for that reason. It's like, oh, yeah, my aunts and uncles and family members are going to give me money and I'm going to have money. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with it, <laughs> but I'm going to have it. And I know that's important. <laughs> Were you upset if people buying you gifts instead of giving you money? I th There were some. Uh, I, I always loved getting toys growing up. Mm -hmm. So like if someone bought me something cool, like a model car remote control car <laughs> like a video game yeah i was always like oh heck, heck yeah this is great i'm gonna play this what about like books no <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not i i didn't i never liked reading growing up so if you bought me a book and i was a little kid i'd i'd look at that and be like thanks i guess <laughs> what an awful aunt or uncle <laughs> <laughs> they, they meant well i feel like i'd be that that kind of uncle these <laughs> days. I don't know. But managing my own money. Uh, when I was little, and people in my age group will probably remember doing this too. They grew up in Canada. We got like little, you know, like kid saver accounts or something. It, they were accounts that earned very low amounts of interest. Mm -hmm. But the really cool thing about it was that when you open these accounts with your parents, they would give you like this little passport or this little book mm. that was empty mm -hmm. and it just had only possibilities for, for you and your money and understanding your money. So what would happen is like every time you uh, deposit or withdraw money, you put this little passport and open up to the, the, uh, a blank, blank spot, blank page, mm -hmm. and you insert it into the ATM machine. Back then they had, slots where they print i don't know if they still do actually maybe they still do have spots where you can insert this kind of thing and it'll print out the transaction in there for you so you can keep like a ledger of all your transactions with you at all times mm -hmm. so i'd go at like every birthday every christmas i get like 200 in total i'd be so excited and be like where's that gonna go sean in the bank account <laughs> right <laughs> so i'd be very excited to do that and i we'd take a trip to the bank It was very big for me back then. Go to the ATM. I'd put in the pin code. Only I knew. <laughs> and that was very special. Did you ever forget those codes? Never. <laughs> never forgot my bank pin code. That was my life. <laughs> so we'd go. I would uh, insert the money and I would ask for the little passport book. I'd put it in. It would stamp it or print it out on the page. And I'd, I'd look at it after. It's like, you have $202. <laughs> and then you just keep track of it. It was great. That's it so was, interesting. It was an exciting intro to money mm -hmm. management, but it didn't really teach me much. It was just like, all right, here's how much money you have, that kind of thing. But that is fun. That sounds really fun for yeah. a kid. I didn't have that when yeah. I was growing up in Vietnam. In fact, I don't think my parents had a bank account. That's really interesting. Yeah. It, it must have worked really differently in the yeah. back, back home for you. Though, I right? think even today uh, they do have bank accounts but i feel like my parents don't really use their credit cards but they have them but they have them oh and everything is still cash based yeah which is so fascinating for me whenever i go home to see people just walking around carrying so much money in their wallet yeah and they put it on their food and everything <laughs> not not to eat This was a throwback to the first episode where I told a story about them putting food on, uh, money on the food that they were preparing. <laughs> that That's for you hardcore listeners, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that that's a really interesting thing, especially 
because here in Canada these days, I feel like people don't really carry cash, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I know for myself, like I will have at most maybe a hundred bucks in my wallet. And that's only sometimes. Yeah, I think I only take cash out when I know that I'll be going to stores or restaurants that would offer cash discount, discounts. cash yeah. discount. Otherwise, there is absolutely no reason for me to be carrying cash. Yeah. And especially post-COVID, mm-hmm. I just want to tap whenever I can. Yeah. The fewer buttons I have to touch with my fingers. Yeah, absolutely. Like money handling and passing around, the, the better. And I also absolutely hate carrying around coins or accepting coins. Oh, like I really yeah. don't like them. Yeah. My hand feels dirty immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've seen this person who used his hand sanitizer mm-hmm. to wash the coins. Oh. <laughs> oh. He, so he put, does he put like a dollop of hand sanitizer <laughs> yeah. in his palm and then like the coin onto it and like rub it together? <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh. oh. I guess that will clean some some stuff right maybe i i would hope so (laughs) so did that relationship with money change for you over time like how about in school Mm -hmm. when i first started going to university i had to learn to pay for tuition monthly rent my phone bill grocery every week I was very lucky that my parents were supporting me yeah. from a financial perspective throughout my university um, journey. So I didn't have to worry about making money, even though I were making money through my co-op programs. Yeah. But I didn't really have a good sense of money coming in and co- money coming out. Most of the time it's like, oh, I guess my money I'm getting... You know, my account is hitting that threshold where I feel like I should ask mom and dad for more money. And I feel so entitled talking about this now. But I was just a kid then. And I didn't really think much of, you know, money and saving. Is saving in particular. Isn't it crazy how little school does to prepare mm-hmm. people for like the most important aspect of mm-hmm. their lives? Mm-hmm. It's nuts. Yeah. And I remember... First year university, we started talking about filing your income tax. Because I, as an international yeah, student, yeah. my tuition was like 20000 plus every year. So I need to record and accumulate it somehow. And I had to learn how to do tax return all by myself using, well, simple tax. At the, hey. at the time, it was called simple tax. Hey. But I've been a long time user of simple tax. It's a great product. Um, it is a great product. But yeah, like no one at school taught me how to do it. Or not even like, oh, by the way, you know, if it's March and April, you should be following your income tax. Like no one, no one taught me that. Yeah. Crazy. How, how about um, back home in Vietnam in school? Mm, were there... Nothing. Were, there, there wasn't anything? No. For me, I remember very clearly in senior kindergarten. Senior kindergarten? Uh, yeah. I think it was senior kindergarten. Yeah, I think it was. We were like four or five years old. And uh, there was this day where we set up like the class of kids and and teacher. We set up like little shops 
Mm-hmm. And in these shops, like you, you are selling imaginary food so, or like or items. So like the kids, some kids would get like little plastic apples or fruit <laughs> that they would set up at this little stand. They turn their desk into a stand and then they would decide how much they would sell those items for. It was like a little kid economy that they set up for a day. Mm-hmm. And then every kid was given like plastic money, like little coins and little little plastic pieces of like bills and they would go around and they'd, they'd try to spend that money on, on stuff that they find interesting. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the kids would make change. And just you'd just, like, simulate being an adult for an hour trying to buy whatever plastic goods you thought were cool. I thought that was really interesting. That is so fun. But, again, that's teaching you how to, like, spend money. <laughs> yeah. Right? And make change. It's not teaching you how, how to accumulate wealth mm-hmm. or, or money or save it. Hmm. yeah no personal finance in any of that exactly and when you started working full-time was that when you started learning about managing your own money yeah i i think so i would hear a lot about like people who are starting to budget in school like getting their first internships and saving their money to pay for the rest of their schooling uh, which is something i did But I didn't really budget, Mm. right? I was just like, I had a target in mind and I was trying to reach it and I just did some like rough math in my head every so often to be like, eh, I think I can get there by the time I'm done my internship and I was lucky enough that I did. Uh, But Mm -hmm. yeah, I I didn't really pay attention to it, like I said, until a a few years into my full-time career, Mm. which is crazy. The big shock for me was when I started my first full-time job in Toronto. As soon as I finished university, my parents were like, you are all on your own now. (laughs) There was no transition period whatsoever. Go make the money now. Bye. They're like, well, you have a job and you make your own money now. So you should take care of your finances. Yeah. And it was tough learning curve for me I would say I remember my my brother my younger brother was living with me at the time so I was making you know your entry level first fresh grad kind of salary <laughs> and having to pay for almost two people yeah. a household of two um, and I think that kind of forced me to learn how to think of spending my money not even saving at that point we're just about trying to just about surviving surviving yeah and one of the very fun i would say memories at the end of every month people are listening if you live in the greater toronto area or toronto toronto specifically you remember when the ttc was selling these monthly pass Mm -hmm. and you need to get it you know before the first day of every month and my brother and i would go and like pick those passes up at metro And I would be thinking to myself, oh, my God, that's another 250 coming out of my bank account. That's expensive for a new grad. Yeah, very. For two people, yeah. Mm -hmm. What about learning about personal finance in general for you? When did you read, because I know you have a book Ah. that is very important to you, that's very influential. It's Mm -hmm. actually, I think, the very same book that was influential to me, and we're going to share these resources Mm -hmm. shortly, but yeah. When did you get into that side of things? Yeah. 
funny enough, I started working at the bank maybe a year after I graduated. Okay. But not in the retail banking division. Yeah. So even though I had joy bank, I don't think it had helped increase my level of personal finance or financial literacy whatsoever. So I started seeking external resources that could help me. So I came across this book called The Wealthy Barber Returns by David Shilton. David Shilton. That yes, and that is that is my favorite personal finance book. Yeah. It's so easy to read. The advices are very practical and also David is an alumni from the same university <laughs> that I had gone to and I actually bought his book from the bookstore, I remember. Yeah. And it had his signature on it. Yeah. So, yeah. Did, didn't you get to meet him too? Yes, I did meet I did get to meet <laughs> with so him cool. at one of the gala event in Toronto and he was the MC that night. And I had one of the core table i guess when i was at with that company Ooh. we were one of the biggest donor for the for the night um so i got to meet him and i got to give him a hug and i was totally fangirling that's so cool i'd fangirl too <laughs> if i met david chilton <laughs> yeah i remember during dinner there was a couple of segments where he interacted with the people in the room and he was asking people like these really fundamental questions, like math questions. And I was sitting like <laughs> right in front of him. And I was just like, no, pick me, pick me. Me, 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 me. <laughs> he didn't. I no. totally crushed those questions. <laughs> <laughs> just like you did in university, I, I presume. <laughs> That's awesome. So David Chilton's book, The Wealthy Barber Returns. Yeah, like Ling said, it's very easy to read. There are a lot of important concepts that, he describes in there that, that are relevant to basically every Canadian, especially ones just starting out who don't know much about money, don't have a good relationship with money. Um, and he's really funny too. So he makes his <laughs> book like a legitimately funny thing to read. And it's easy to go back to. I found myself going back to it every couple of years just because I, I want to read it again, kind of reinforce some of the things that I learned. <laughs> and that was the thing that really helped me understand investing my money and the importance of ETFs because <laughs> at the time you know I had my money in a in a BMO mutual fund and I thought that was the best thing I could do because BMO was my first bank mm. and I was very loyal to that bank like I think most Canadians are mm. and I didn't know anything else they offer RSPs and TFSAs I had a branch across the street so I went across the street and I was like I want to invest a little bit of money and th like this kind of goes back to my early kind of relationships with money as I start working when I got my first credit card too I remember my first credit card had a $500 limit oh yeah um and my my instructions from my dad were here's your credit card you are not going to you're not going to spend with this credit card mm -hmm. unless you have the money available in your debit account and transfer the money like immediately. Mm -hmm. Like that was a very stern kind of wording from my dad that scared me straight. Like if you don't do this, you're screwed. You're going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to jail. Your credit score, whatever that is, is going to be ruined and you're going to have a terrible, terrible life. Like that, that was how I presumed 
That's yeah. how it came off as. He never said it like that. That's not how it is. But that's just kind of something that, that I heard. And I twisted it that way in my head. <laughs> I, like, I was like, okay, all right, I'll do this. I, I feel like those were the same advices that we gave to our younger brother. When, yes. when he got his it first totally credit was. card. <laughs> it totally was. And I hope it worked. <laughs> but it's something that that did work for me because like I was very afraid of, <laughs> of incurring debt on my credit card mm-hmm. and still am today. And I guess it also just instilled a lot of good, healthy practices for, for spending on credit. Like it is not free money. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is not an, an advance, though technically it is. It shouldn't be treated that way. You talk about the first bank account you had, and a lot of Canadians are loyal to maybe the first bank or yeah. the bank that they've been with the for bank a long time. Their parents bank with, yeah. Do you think that's still true in today's climate? I think it's still true for millennials. Mm. I think it's also still true for a lot of the the older Gen Zs. Mm. That's I feel like that's how we grew up here. Mm-hmm. Like you, you open your first bank account with at the place wherever your parents bank, mm-hmm. and then you speak no more of it. And there are only five choices, or mm-hmm. there were only five choices up till mm-hmm. you know ten years ago. Mm-hmm. It's starting to change a little bit more now, and I'm like one of the people <laughs> who's mm-hmm. who's trying to change it, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, but I th- yeah I think there's just like this embedded loyalty and. And fear of like, why would I ever want to open mm. this other thing with this institution I don't trust? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm loyal to this one. This one, you know, charges me fees, but I keep account minimums. I'm mm-hmm. okay. I feel like moving between the five banks to people, at least in my view, yeah, the convenience or inconvenience yeah. is probably the biggest factor. Definitely. I wonder if it's so much about... I'm loyal to this bank or it's more... Maybe people are lazy. I don't want to go to my branch to close everything and another branch have to talk to another yeah. human being uh-huh. to open everything else uh-huh. and having to call all these numbers to activate my cards and having them trying to sell me insurance or all these type of add-on programs. I feel like to me, that is the biggest yeah. factor that prevents me from... Moving to another institution. Wow. And of course, I am with, I'm working for a bank. So very unlikely (laughs) that I would go to another bank because I'm getting the best rates possible at my current employer. But I guess that's a tactic that that works, right? Like Mm -hmm. make it, make it difficult to leave, add friction to the experience Mm -hmm. so that people don't want to go through that. Mm -hmm. The pain of closing down a bank account or Mm -hmm. opening one up isn't all that hard Mm -hmm. especially today you can do it all digitally Mm -hmm. for the most part even today i feel like if you want to close an account they won't let you do it online you need to call or you need to visit a branch and i think that got a change yeah i do not want to deal with a single human yeah in in that kind of activity yeah even visiting a branch like i don't like visiting a branch yeah even when i get calls that are like hey i'm calling from bmo these are legit calls not Mm -hmm. the spam calls Mm -hmm. like legit calls like hey you qualify for this extra insurance or account do you do you want to take it they start explaining it It gets all very overwhelming yeah and i was not prepared for the conversation so i'm just like oh no stop i don't want it i don't want it i don't care i don't want it (laughs) 
And they're like, and wait, but this is good. This is free. No. One no thing way. I also don't understand is how we constantly get statements from the banks. Even though I'm pretty sure we had selected paperless for everything. Oh, I don't get Yeah, I'm paperless. That we have. Paperless with my bank. Oh, so am I the only person who still gets these sta- statements? Maybe. I don't know. You, you could. There, there could be other people who huh. seemingly go paperless and still get paper mm. statements. Not sure. Yeah, so financial literacy in school especially, that sucks. It's not very good. Well, it wasn't very good until recently, right? Yeah, some They've changes were made to the school system, at least in Ontario, right? Yeah, so that's good. And, you know, if we have our kids and live in Ontario, hopefully they will have a better initial experience and be more prepared mm-hmm. for real life outside of school, uh, armed with at least some amount of knowledge. Yeah. Right? So that's pretty good. I also think that it is the parents' responsibility as well to educate and equip your kids with these foundation, foundational knowledge yeah. when it comes to money. I mean, yeah, school is great, but you yeah. shouldn't be relying on school to teach you everything you need to know about life. Yeah. I learned most of what I know about personal finance outside mm-hmm. that book mm-hmm. uh, through the personal finance Canada subreddit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There are a lot of really good tips in there. Mm -hmm. It is not very accessible for those living paycheck to paycheck. And a lot of the times it actually makes you feel a little bit bad because Mm. there are a lot of people there who like to show off how much money they make and what they have and own and all that kind of stuff. But there are also a lot of people there who are very much the opposite, like live normal salary, like live, have an average Canadian salary Mm-hmm. Uh, and have a lot of tips for like how to spend money, like buying a car. There are a lot of there's there's kind of like this this stereotype that people in the personal finance subreddit would recommend just spending a thousand dollars on an old car, mm. and that is the best way to <laughs> to spend your money for a car because it's a depreciating asset most of the time. A lot of people would disagree with that, but I mean, it's sane advice for some. Mm-hmm. So you know how we talk a lot or a little bit about things that either of us had learned in school or did not learn in school. So now thinking about what's ahead, yeah. what what are some of the basic things that you feel like kids should learn at school when it comes to yeah. personal finance? And at what age should they be learning these things? I think I'm no curriculum builder. <laughs> so I, I'm not really too sure when kids should learn, like probably when they're a little bit older, like high school is mm. when this would have a, the biggest impact because, you know, when you're young and you're a kid, you don't really care about money all that much. Mm-hmm. You don't want to learn like how to budget necessarily. But in high school, like, prepare, you know, possibly as you're preparing to graduate, that'd probably be a good time to learn about like um, how to budget money effectively, how to split what you're earning and what what are normal kind of allocations of money to living expenses, let's say, and um, and food, like what should that be? I know a lot of people say like this. It's a pretty good d- idea to spend no more than forty percent of your pre-tax income mm-hmm. on uh, living expenses. That's hard. 
Yeah, it's tough in Toronto, especially that mm-hmm. that is almost impossible these days for for um, household incomes. Yeah, but that that was the advice maybe five, six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be a good time, mm-hmm. like your teenage years. That's probably when you learn the most and probably care the most. Like aside from university, I think it should always be offered in universities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think grade ten or eleven is probably a good age to be learning about these things a lot of people would go off to college or university without the financial support from their family so they need to learn how to take care of themselves financially yeah even if they are getting funding from osa from the government but there's still the whole side of the other the, uh, the whole other side of the equation which is the spending and saving um, that yeah. that you need to know how to do, so I I agree. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about budgeting now. Mm, yes, because that is something that is near and dear to my heart. And you're very good at it. Thank you. I'm thankful that you Thank are good you. at it. Oh, and that's that's like the very reason why I kind of enjoy learning about personal finance to begin with, because budgeting turns out can be a really fun tool. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be afraid of your your checking accounts and the balance that's contained within if you have an understanding of where your money is going and what you're actually spending on and getting some insights into like what categories you're spending the most on month to month it's it's awesome so let's do this interview style okay okay i'm gonna ask you a couple of questions yeah 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 so budgeting what tool do you use do you use excel no, word no <laughs> what do you no use? way i i'm no good with excel by the way <laughs> i am terrible with it i've made a, a few macros in my life and i did not enjoy any of that that is not my cup of tea i would rather avoid excel i use a tool called you need a budget ynab people ynab ynab yeah it's it's a subs an annual subscription uh service and website and there is a bit of a learning curve to budgeting and YNAB. The, the whole premise is like you give every dollar a job. So you have a budget, uh, you have all the categories in which you typically spend, including like uh, necessary expenses, like housing, car payments, um, groceries, subscriptions, uh, and fun money. But uh, yeah, it's... All the money that comes in, you give it a job, you allocate it month to month, and it's okay if you don't allocate enough to one category. Like You can keep things pretty flexible and move from one category to another just as long as you, know, you, you understand where the money is and everything is accounted for. Okay, so we'll talk about the process in a little bit, but why nap? So you said it's a, subscri- it's a subscription. Yeah. Does that mean you have to pay for it? Yeah, you have to you have to spend money. You have to spend money to budget for your money. Yeah, that's kind of backwards, but it works. It's a really good tool. I think if if you use it and you learn about how it works, it becomes very powerful and ends up like saving you money in the long term, especially as a new like a, a new worker, mm. full-time worker. And so for folks out there who might not have the capacity or just simply don't want to spend 50 bucks per se on budgeting. 
Yeah. Are there alternatives that you would suggest or that you know of that will do the job? Maybe not to the same level as white nap, but there's uh, I know a lot of people like to use mint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that's a good one. That's one that I used before I started with YNAB, but I was never never really good about it. Uh, there's there's one that's a startup actually that that uh, started up over the pandemic. It's Canadian based. Mm-hmm. I cannot for the life of me remember its name. I'm going to include it in the podcast notes because okay. I should have been a little bit more prepared. I was a little bit too excited for uh, to talk about budget today for budgeting. Yeah, I just love. YNAB. I've been using it for like seven years. Wow. It's good. That's so amazing. I'll include the other alternatives in the podcast notes and also a link to YNAB. Perfect. But and so talk to uh, the listeners about how much effort is involved. Because I think oh. when people think of budgeting, they think, oh, I need to sit down in front of my computer yeah. seven days a week. Yeah. This one is as much or as little work as you choose to put into it mm-hmm. by that i mean there are options to automatically importing transaction information so like you can actually connect ynab to your bank accounts it's safe don't worry it's a legitimate site it doesn't sell your information or anything like that but you can connect your bank accounts and you know uh, i believe credit cards mm. to automatically pull that information for you and over time, it kind of learns to associate merchant names with the different categories you typically assign it to. So like, ah. we'll see McDonald's and know that's that's dining category. So you can choose to do it that way, mostly automated. So you just like check in on it once, twice, three times a month, and then you make sure your budget is good. And whenever a paycheck comes in, you allocate that money to the various categories, make sure everything looks good, and you move on. Mm. Or... If you want to go kind of crazy with it and be a real big nerd, which is what I do, (laughs) you can enter it all manually. So what I do is like every week or every two weeks, I sit down, I open up my bank accounts and my credit cards. I enter all the information manually. Then I check and then I double check and I triple check and I make sure like all the money lines up and then I categorize it. With that, I always notice how you light up whenever... The balance reconciles between YNAP and your account. I love, I love when they reconcile. Mm -hmm. When those numbers line up, it's it's a very satisfying feeling. It's like a game. We should have (laughs) considered accountant, accountant. I know. I feel like you would. I would have. I would have had a very rewarding, (laughs) fulfilling career (laughs) if I was an accountant because of how happy that number, those number lining up, numbers lining up, makes me. That's awesome. And so, so okay, now talk to, I guess, people about the process. So you get paid, right? And then that gets tracked. Your budget gets updated. You now have an amount of money to be allocated out. And then you decide, how, how do you decide how to allocate your money? You can allocate it based on, like, previous months. Mm. So every category, it will tell you, like, Here's an average of what you spent over the last six months. Mm-hmm. Here is how much you spent last month. And you can also have like scheduled transactions, like things you know are coming up, like a, a rent payment, let's say, or mortgage payment. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be this much at the first of every month. You can schedule that in, in YNAB and then uh, it will account for that in the budget and 
when you get paid and when you're allocating all that money, it'll say like, Hey, this is a, should be aware of this one. This one's coming up. Mm. So then you prioritize that you allocate the money there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and leftovers you allocate to the different buckets. That's awesome. I have to say, I learned so much from you and just our budgeting process in yeah. general and what a huge difference it has made to my life. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think that I'm in control of right? my money It's now. So good. And at any given moment in time, we can pull up our budget and we can right away have a feel for where we need to pull back and where we have a little bit more money yeah. to spend on. And I think just having that feeling of being in control of your money, like my money is not driving me. I'm I'm the one deciding where yeah. it goes and how to spend it. It feels really good. Yeah. Because you work so hard for your money, right? You don't want it to be the one that's causing you stress. Yeah. I think I read an article talking about how for Canadian money and you know financing are the topics or the things that keep them up at night they just get so stressed and and anxious about money in general and that's yeah. that's terrible i feel like there's a lot of people can do to help yeah. with that yeah i mean it's not just about going out and earning more mm-hmm. you know getting another job that's not that's just going to create more stress that's going to make things tougher for for you and your family mm-hmm. Where, where can you reallocate your funds, better understand how you're spending your money, and ultimately, like, be okay with logging into your bank account? Because I, I know I used to be that kind of person who would dread mm. logging into my accounts and seeing mm-hmm. how much money was left and how much I owe on my credit card. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't even talked about all, like credit scores and building credit. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, I could go for another half hour on that. Just to <laughs> just to show or demonstrate some sort of credibility, can you tell people what's your credit score? Oh is? my gosh, uh, my credit score—it's very good. It's better than very good. Yeah, it's a—it's perfect. Yeah, but that's that's only because of the scary lesson I, I <laughs> learned for, at the very beginning from my dad. <laughs> I remember the first time you told me that you had perfect score, like perfect credit score. I was like. What? I'm with the 1%? Actually, I don't know if... <laughs> 1%? <laughs> like 1% of people with a perfect score? Yeah. Oh, um, I don't know if that's true. Maybe less than 1%. <laughs> I'm still shocked. I don't know. I think I think there are a lot of people out there with, with really good credit scores. So you know you know what you're Just doing. pay your stuff on time. Do your best to pay on time. Mm-hmm. And then and then budget so you can understand how to pay on time if, if, it's, tr- if it's hard. Because it can be really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Budgeting. So good. Personal finance. Did we cover everything we wanted to talk about? I mean, I said I could talk about credit yeah. scores for a long time, but I think we have a lot more that we can cover on personal finance or just financial literacy. But we should go pack and we, get ready for our trip. <laughs> If I could leave some some parting information, Personal Finance Canada. Is really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another book that that I really enjoyed reading, and that is called uh, "The Millionaire Teacher" by Andrew Hallam. 
it is very close to the wealthy barber returns. I think they talk more about like uh, investments and how ETFs work and how to think about your money and investing it and how much you should be investing, that kind of stuff. It is a very fun read. It's not, not all that scary. And it's pretty inspiring, actually. So that is a good resource. Use Amazing. It. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed this special episode of Career, Career Advice. Advice. We'll catch you next time. We're still on a break. We're going on vacation. When we come back, hopefully, we'll have our guest. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, folks. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.